Well, God is in the life-changing business. In case you didn't know, he specializes in heart transplants. He's known for transforming sinners into saints, orphans into loved sons and daughters, drug addicts into grace addicts, the discouraged to the empowered, the fearful into the courageous, the proud into the humble, the selfish into the self-giving, and there's so much more. And so no matter, no matter where your story started, God is constantly rewriting your ending. Think about that this morning. Part of your story, part of your calling, part of following Jesus, though, I want to say, and this is where I want to go this morning, part of all of that is this word called compassion and showing compassion for a hurting world. Maybe you've heard the expression, have a heart. I've heard it a few times. Um, I don't know what that means specifically, but in case you're not sure, it means to be compassionate. It means to be generous and forgiving. And a general definition of compassion is recognizing uh, with sympathy and concern the suffering of others. And then taking action... So not just the recognition, but also the action to help alleviate such suffering. The Greek and the Hebrew words translated as compassion in the Bible speak to having mercy, being moved with sympathetic pity. But there's something deeper, there's something even more profound in this meaning that I want to share with you. The origin of the word helps us grasp really this true breadth and significance of compassion. In Latin, the word is compati, uh, uh, which means suffer with. Think about that for a bit. Compassion means that somebody else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Another suffering becomes your suffering. And so true compassion changes the way, it should change the way that we live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of which they suffer. Think about that for a moment. The meaning of compassion can be expressed in many different ways. Uh, Frederick Buchner describes the meaning of compassion with these words. He says, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside somebody else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. On the line of you too, Bono. <laughs> explains the meaning of compassion for Christians is to focus on those in need. He goes on and he says, to me, a faith in Jesus Christ that is not aligned with the poor is nothing. Those are harsh words. And in case you didn't know, the Bible is actually saturated with compassion. It seeps through the pages of the Old Testament. It pours out throughout the entire New Testament. It presents itself as a challenge to all people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks of a God who has compassion for the nation of Israel. It tells about a Savior who suffers for the world. And it asks us as believers to live and act compassionately. So do you have a heart? The most important object in this world is used to describe God. 
the most important object this world is used. This word, the most important. I, I can say this. English is not my first language. Gibberish is. The most important object this word is used to describe is God. God himself. That God is the root and the foundation. He's the spring, the fountainhead of all compassion. God's compassion is celebrated throughout the Bible. There are two particular pertinent passages in the Bible that actually describe this. I have them up on screen for if you want to write them down, take a picture, go home and read it. God is compassionate. He's sympathetic to the suffering of his people. He sees our distress. He takes pity on us. That should be something that we should be wonderfully embracing. But his compassion is more than just sympathy and pity. God's compassion is also related to mercy. It's related to kindness. It's related to patience. It's related to grace and forgiveness and love. In fact, some of these attributes are so related. They're so interwoven as to make clear demarcations from them so difficult it's almost impossible god's compassion compels it moves him to action and god's sympathy for our lost state uh, led him not only to feel our pain but to provide a sacrifice for our guilt he does this by sending his son to die for our sins the compassion of jesus then too can be seerly clearly seen throughout all the gospel stories you can't help but see it when you read for example matthew as we're walking through it we we observe christ's compassion for the harassed and the helpless we also see his compassion for those who are sick and suffer diseases we witness his compassion for even those who are hungry and he feeds them the high point of Jesus' compassion can be observed at the cross where he comes and he begins to lay down his life for the sins of the world, for you and for me. And those of us who put our faith in Jesus are, are born again spiritually and we receive the Holy Spirit. We're made these new creations, as Scripture says, in Christ. This enables us not only to love God, but to love our neighbors. We are commanded in Scripture to put uh, on hearts. Ooh, that's my gum. There we go. Hearts of compassion. That was a one-second rule. Work with me. Hearts of compassion. As we relate to our fellow Christians. As we relate to our fellow Christians. Interesting passage. And also those who have yet to hear the gospel and believe in Jesus as their Savior. Christian, if that's how you identify yourself this morning. Are you compassionate? Do you have a heart? See, the compassion we're called to is a call of action. Think about that. True compassion, it actually encompasses both a gut feeling of sympathy and pity as well as that action that we have to take part. We've got to do something, try something to relieve the suffering that we see. And one of the most compassionate acts we can do actually is to share the good news of our faith of Jesus to those who don't know him. Maybe that's you today, you came on an invitation. As you saw some great stories... You heard some great songs. What you didn't see was what was going on today at these crosses. Compassion lived out. 
Maybe you just look at yourself and you wonder what's going on. What's going on with this crowd? Why are they in a round? This is really weird. They sing all different types of songs. I can't get into that. But there's something missing. You know. One of the most compassionate acts, is acts that we have is just to share with you Jesus. That you can be restored with fellowship with him. But as believers, we're commanded to have compassion on all people. But especially those who belong to the household of faith. And more especially to those who are poor and powerless among us. Scripture makes it crystal clear that if we don't have compassion or love for each other, then we don't know God. Those are harsh words. We cannot be void of compassion and call ourselves Christians. Compassion is of vital importance in revealing the genuineness of our faith in Jesus. Compassion and love are how we are identified as Christ's disciples. I better be God or tell us. I'm not quite sure which one. But... <laughs> okay. The Bible defines the meaning of compassion in several ways. First, we're supposed to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor, defend the rights of the needy. We find that in Proverbs chapter 3, 31, sorry. And we do this by taking action instead of just about talking about helping others. 1 John 3 says, Dear children, don't let us love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, theologian Nicholas uh, Wolterstorff has a phrase, he calls it the quartet of the vulnerable. This is really interesting. This quartet of the vulnerable talks about four groups of people that the Bible identifies that has a special place in God's heart. The resident alien, the orphan, the widow, and the poor. Here at Seoul, we talk a lot about God's heart for the poor. Now, next week, we have Roman Porchaga coming here. He'll be speaking. He's coming in from Moscow. He's coming to speak, not for us, actually. He's coming to, on Saturday night here, Living Word Temple is throwing a fundraiser banquet because they're trying to raise funds to, to help Roman go back to Russia and continue to plant churches in a specific region called Altai. Altai is very much the, similar to our First Nations community. And as a matter of fact, Paul Winter and his team from Living Word Temple have gone over to Altai and they began the process of planting churches. And so they want to raise more money. Met with Paul this week. We had a board meeting and, and uh, Tamara Craker is here somewhere. I don't know where you are, Tamara, but she also sits on the board. And we talked about what's going on with Living Word. And, and they're also an extension of our North End campus and the people there wanting to get into the reserves and starting things at Pukatawaga and all over again, starting new churches in uh, Dominican Republic and other things that just seem to be f falling into place, not to mention what Living Word Temple does in the inner city. And Paul looked at us and he said, look, we've been doing the math and trying to figure out, we remember we started feeding kids one, one lunch hour a week. They started feeding kids from William White School. They would get anywhere from 20 to 30 kids. Then they went to three. Then they've now gone to a full five days a week. And they're getting anywhere between 50 and 100 kids coming in for lunch. Paul went out, did the math, including the food and the support of paying people to be there, to cook it, to serve it, and put it all together. It basically costs for one year. You can pick Monday. Every, a kid will get fed. Every Monday, it will cost $8,000. That's Living Word Temple. Times that by five. 
That is their feeding program. That's for the food to pay the staff to do all the works behind the scenes. So this is why they're having a fundraiser. They need a little bit of help. Maybe you know somebody who has a heart and a passion for the inner city that wants to do something. I want to invite you to maybe take Saturday night if you can and come and be a part of that right here, right now. We have tickets. All you got to do is contact our office, talk to Allison. She'll hook you up. She'll write you down. And maybe you can bring a couple people that will help what's going on in our city. James in the New Testament, he writes, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. The Bible mentions the care for widows and orphans at least 15 times. And it's easy for us you know, to get these abstract uh, ideas of orphans and widows, especially in our Western culture. However, the plight of these two unrepresented uh, groups are often ignored by the modern impact of what's happening in our world today on a global scale. These two, widows and orphans, tell the tale of human trafficking today. This is a global human rights issue. It's estimated that between 14,000 and 18,000 people per year are trafficked in the U.S. alone. The orphan and the widow make up the majority of those human trafficking survivors. Children in our foster care system and runaways are targeted by human traffickers. These vulnerable children have often experienced the abuse and the lack of uh, stable support in a system. And some of them are forcibly snatched off the street. But more often, these kids are approached and they're groomed by traffickers. One of three runaways are picked up by pimps and within 48 hours of running... The trafficker establishes trust by showing interest in this runaway child. The grooming can occur anywhere from weeks to months, finally, leading the victim to believe that they're in a romantic relationship with their exploiter. And finally, the trafficker turns around and flips and forces the kid into slavery. Pimps can make 600000 per year in untaxed income with only four kids. And while that's not shocking, it's also not rare that the average age of entry of the sex work in the U.S. is only 13 years of age. And second, widows are also in a vulnerable position. In many countries, many countries overseas, widows are often devalued, ignored. They're even outcasts of society. Nobody's there to take care of them anymore. The majority of foreign nationals trafficked in the U.S. are women and children. According to the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Trafficking, women are more likely to be trafficked because their work is undervalued. It's much more difficult for women to learn, earn a living wage, so they have to participate in more risky behavior to find decent work to support their families. They're recruited through fraud. Traffickers lead women to believe that they're being recruited for legitimate jobs in the service or manufacturing industries with children to feed and a promise of a decent paying job. These women's hopes uh, are capitalized on by traffickers. You know, at Seoul, we talk about orphans. We have a great size, good size foster care adoptive community here. In case you didn't know, in a few weeks' time, we have seven people leaving for the Ukraine on June 25th. They're going to go help teach an English camp, and we're using the Bible as our textbook. We've been asked by the community in Ukraine if we would sponsor some students. The students that we are, will be sponsoring are actually kids who are coming out of orphanages. It's $150 each for a week at camp. And so here at Seoul, we have taken up, in case you didn't know, we've taken up an offering to help the church in Ukraine to purchase a building. 
that is to be used as a transitional house to the orphans who turn 18. Because once they turn 18, they're set out on the streets and they literally have nowhere to go. And they become targets of the human traffickers. They become targets of the crime bosses. The majority of those kids, when they turn 18 and show up on the streets, become victims of human trafficking. They fall into crime. This house will be able to start with some and it will be a transitional home that will give them a skill in IT. And the team will then help them go once they've spent a year with them to find a job. Or if the kids want to go off to university, they can go off to university. And if they have English, they can go so much more further. I'll just say this. If you feel compelled to give out of the, to the Ukraine, just designate the amount on your offering. Put it in the joy basket. Just write Ukraine. 100% will go there. We'll take it with us to the Ukraine. You know, but one of the things that we don't talk a lot about are these resident aliens. Another thing that's really close to the heart of God. The immigrants, the refugees. Here at Seoul, we have welcomed and sponsored three Syrian families in the last few years. We've had people who have stood up and said, look, we're taking this on. It's been great. We've seen lives transformed. Now, one of them owns a restaurant in Transcona called Maggie's. If you want, go pay a visit. I don't get it. I don't get a dime from that, but that's a great, you know, free plug for you. Eid is out doing that, and he's got everybody working with him, and it's beautiful to see that they can come here and change their life. And so we, we thought our time with sponsoring was over, and everything sort of closed down, but then somebody came to me and said, look, I have something i got to share with you, and today I want to introduce to you a special couple here from Seoul. They now give leadership to another little committee, interesting enough. But I've asked that they would come up and share their story first. So Don, Marie, and Chimo, if you can come up, wherever you are. Where are they? There they are. And baby. Come on up. Well, you can clap for them. Hi, sweetheart. Hi. It takes guts to talk to people, right? Yeah. yeah, but you can do it. Go ahead. Oh, sweetheart, I can't hold you. You want to come to me? No. No, I didn't think so. That's stranger danger right there, I'll tell you. So I just want to tell you about a family we went while I was away, the Nabil family. Now, Nabil is actually not their surname. That's the father's first name, but we're using that for their safety not to have their uh, last name available. Um, and uh, I met them while I was on a trip visiting my husband, who wasn't my husband yet at the time. And uh, I met this family there very briefly at his church. I didn't know anything about them other than that they were a family with two very sweet little children. And that other than me, they were the only two non-Africans in this mostly Nigerian church. I kind of wondered what my, may have led them there, of all places, but I didn't really think much of it at the time. It wasn't until a few years later, when the complications that come with international relationships and immigration meant that if Chim and I wanted to be married, I would have to move to join him there. And it was during my almost two years living outside of Canada You know, my husband said on the drive here that I was going to cry. And I was like, no, I won't. I practice a bunch of times and I'm fine. <laughs> then I got to know this family and they are a lovely family. 
And I learned about their circumstances that led them there. And you would never guess the trauma that they have been through when you meet this family who seems so happy and obviously loves each other and trusts in God. My experience where we were living really shaped me, as did our church community there. Um, I learned a lot and got a completely new perspective on what Christians in other countries are going through. You can read things in the paper and see it on the news, but you don't understand it until you actually experienced it and see people who are living it. So the Nabil family are from Pakistan. Nabil's father converted from Christianity to Islam when Nabil was young, but his mother quietly continued to pray and read the Bible at home. However, his father started to become more engaged with militant groups and became more violent. Things got much worse when Nabil chose to marry a Christian woman, Shishma, who he met at the Christian church he was secretly attending. Having children and raising them as Christians put them in even more danger. Things came to a head in March of 2014 when his father and several armed men forced their way into their home. And demanded that they hand over the children or I'll be killed. Thanks to God, they escaped, but they knew they weren't safe and they had to leave immediately. So they're now living in a different Asian country. In the country where they are, you are allowed to be a practicing Christian. We're just not naming where that is again, because people in Pakistan are still looking for them. And so we just don't want their location to be available online. The part of this story that really inspired me though, and is the reason that I wanted to do this is um, the church and the place where we were living. Now, you may have noticed two things I mentioned. I already said that um, they and we were living in an Asian country, but we were going to an African. It was actually mostly Nigerian church. So we were all immigrants there. And um, things were different for me. I was white, so I was an expat which is really the exact same thing, except that officials and authorities and police treat you very differently. <laughs> and this church was a group of less than 100 people, all struggling, mostly students, trying to manage in a very corrupt system that was set up against them. I would say that Chima was called out three, four times a week because he could speak the local language to negotiate the release of a church member from the police station most of them who were arrested for like existing. They hadn't actually done anything wrong. They were just out in public and so they were arrested. And yet this community struggling to survive in a way I had never experienced, took in this family and provided for them. The church got them set up in an apartment, helped them pay their bills, provided food and even school fees for the children. This wasn't a formal endeavor where the church decided to support a family in need and start a committee and do fundraising and have a vote. They just, one of the church members who happened to live in the same apartment building met them, invited them to church. And when they found out more about their situation, they stepped up. And I know I've said it, I can't emphasize it enough. They had so little, but they saw a need and they stepped up. And that was remarkable to me. Um, so before leaving Canada, I thought I was a pretty generous person. And, uh, you know, I 
thought that I gave and I do wonderful things and hooray for me, but I had never experienced the kind of sacrifice that these people were making for each other on a daily basis. And not just for this situation specifically, but just in general for each other. They just give more and of themselves and just in every way. And it made me realize how much here in Canada we should be doing more. We have more, so we should do more. And we often don't because of these things that we think are necessities, and they're really not. Well, as we all know, I'm originally from Nigeria. And Nigeria, they see it as a third world country. I grew up in a very good Christian family. And I never thought about persecution until I go to that place in Asia. We started the church and um, just for us, because when you go to churches there, you find out that though they believe to be Christians, but you don't belong there, being a black person. So you find yourself uh, discriminated. So we decided to set up African church whereby all Africans could feel free to worship God in our African ways. You know, Africans, especially we Nigerians, we have our ways of worshiping God in a, a charismatic way. Just say you like the dance, man. Just say you like the dance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but they got this little groove that happens. <laughs> so during those times, we started a little church, and then we were worshiping God. We were trying to survive before we met this Nabi's family. You know, it's really difficult to explain or to say their condition. So we took it up on ourselves. Most of us, we don't have job. We are students and then some other ones, they don't do anything. Rather, they just try to survive in the street, walking on the garbage or whatever, which most of the times, their boss will take advantage of them because of document issues that if you don't have papers, you don't deserve to receive any payment, even if you work till years and years, they, they don't pay you. If you mess up, they will call police on you. And if you're lucky, especially if you don't know how to speak their local language, you will be in trouble. So we made this family we started helping them, paying their rent, because when you hear about their stories, how they escaped their home country, arrived in the area whereby you are allowed to be a Christian, but you don't belong there at all. No job for you, no way to survive. And they themselves, they don't know what to do. The family with little children, they have two kids. So my pastor and I, the senior pastor, because we are the two people running the church. So we took it up on ourselves and the remaining brethren, we gathered together to pay their house rent, provide food for them, their clothes, and those kids, they are not going to school. So we set up small things for them. They started going to school and life will be easier for them. And when I came here in Canada, I felt that actually these people, they deserve something good in life, at least. If they could stand on their feet, 
being Christians they are, they don't want to denounce their faith. They stood on their ground and said, if to die, I will die for Christ. They escaped their country looking for a place of refuge. I believe they need something better. That motivated me to join hand with my wife so that we could sponsor them to come over here. Because when I look out at those kids, I always think about myself back home in my country. We have a place whereby you could just dream. Only dreams, but the dreams will not come to reality. And then the place where they are, no justice. They don't have any person to stand for them. They don't have any person to speak for them. Worst, in the worst case scenario, they are Christians. So if you are Christian, then you're on your own. Unless you refer to Islam, then they will listen to you. So coming here, even let's say on 2017, 2018 was just one month plus. I got a job. I met a wonderful person here. He's from this church also. He, he's my boss. I worked with him. He's a very wonderful man. So it came to my senses and my brain that if Nabil's family could come here, they will also get better opportunity to meet good people that will support them in their faith and their life will be more better. So that helped me a lot. And that motivated me to join hand with my wife to set up this program. Things are very difficult for them still. Um, the UN has granted them official asylum status, but that was a slow process. It took almost three years. Um, and having asylum status is not the same as having legal status where they are. So they're still limited in their ability to work or access resources. Um, and it, even that, they only received their asylum status actually shortly before Tima got his papers for us to come back to Canada which is when we started talking about um, what we could do and how we could help them. And um, they were told, after having their status, that if they weren't chosen through a connection, like us choosing to sponsor them, if they just wait in line to get picked randomly, that they should expect to wait about 10 years. And then the processing time, once you've been chosen, is anywhere from one to four years, depending on various factors. So. If someone doesn't have a connection and choose to bring them over, they're still looking at like 15 more years before they would even have a chance of getting resettled somewhere. And so um, that's where we wanted to step up. And I know that this family is not alone in their struggles. There are countless others with similar hardships. And we can't do everything, but we can do something. And this is something that we wanted to do for this family who's depending on Jesus to meet their most basic daily needs and sponsoring them so that they can have a life here in Canada can offer them safety and a brighter future for their children. So the recommended amount to be raised according to Citizenship and Immigration Canada for a family of four is $40,000. Now, we already have a $10,000 commitment, which is amazing. And so we're on our way to having what we need to bring this family here. It's just $30,000 more. And so I ask that you think about how you can support us in that. Um, when we were talking, we figured out it's a, a little over 10,000 miles from Pakistan to Canada. So if you think of it, it's only $3 per kilometer to bring them here. 
So you don't have to think huge. Don't get me wrong. If you would like to give us $10,000, we will take it. <laughs> but if you don't have that, maybe you could donate a kilometer or a kilometer per month or a kilometer per week. Every little bit will help and it will bring us here. We also have an amazing team of volunteers. There's seven of us so far um, who have already formally uh, committed to joining a planning committee to do fundraisers and events and all of the preparation that needs to happen for the family to come here. We would like more help. Um, it's a fairly long-term commitment, but we're super fun people on the committee, and I promise you'll like us, so you should think about joining. Um, the more that we have, the more we can share the work, and it'll be more manageable for everybody balancing life and service, and so we'd love to have you join us. Um, we will have a table set out during coffee time, um, and we'll be out after church, and we'll be there for the next couple of weeks. So if you have questions or you're just interested in more information about what you can do or what involvement would look like, you can talk to us or to any of the other volunteers that will be there. Okay, so this isn't about me, but I'm going to talk about me just a little bit more. <laughs> um, if I'm being really honest, before leaving this country, I didn't really know what it meant to trust and depend on God. I know that that's something we talk about and it's something that we're supposed to do, but frankly, like, my life was pretty good. I was pretty self-sufficient and I know it might sound a little cynical, but I kind of didn't have to. Like, we're supposed to and you know that, but I really wasn't. And I'm not suggesting that that's the way things should happen, but like we just don't sometimes because we can manage things on our own. I don't know, maybe everybody else does and it was only me, <laughs> but that's the way it felt. And so when I left this country, that was a leap of faith, but even that I felt pretty confident in the decision and, and our plan and what we were doing with our marriage. But when I got there, like, it was really difficult for us. I had a really hard time adjusting to the culture where we were. Um, we struggled financially in a way I had never been there before. I was lonely. Um, it was really hard for my husband to watch me have such a difficult time being there when he was the reason I was there and the only reason I was staying. And we had all sorts of paperwork issues with both his paperwork to come to Canada and my paperwork to stay there. So I had to come back to Canada for a while. We had to be apart for a few months. Um, Chima couldn't even be there when Angelika was born. And so we went through a lot and it was totally new experience. This like having to just totally let go and trust because you had no control. And it was completely humbling. And it's like something you thought you've been doing your whole life and you realize you haven't even scratched the surface. And it's nothing compared to what other families are facing. And we had the luxury of knowing that our situation was temporary. It was hard, but we knew it wouldn't be long-term. And a lot of people don't have that. And so that has really taught me to kind of get out of my head a little bit and just trust more. So now we're in a situation where we need to trust again. The situation now is less dramatic, but still, we've had to really look to God to make this happen. Um, Chim is going to university full-time. Uh, I'm working. We have another baby on the way. And, like, when you look at it, logically, this isn't, like, really the best time for us to be taking on a huge project. 
but we feel called to do it, and so we just have to trust that God will make it possible and that he'll provide the time that we need and let it fit in our schedule. So I don't know um, how that's going to work, <laughs> but it will because we just have to trust God. And um, I don't know what you're feeling or things you're going through when you think about where you need to trust, but maybe, maybe there's a little tug at your heart to give us more money <laughs> than financially you think makes sense. Or maybe you're sort of feeling like you'd like to volunteer, but you don't know how it'll fit in your schedule. Can I just say there's a lot of freedom in just trusting God? And so I'd encourage you to do that. And I know that in this situation, it's a lot easier for us because we like actually know this family. They're our friends. But I hope that you'll, I'm crying again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope that you'll help us because if you do, then they can become your friends too. Thank you. Thank you for your time and your commitment. <laughs> Jen, if you can come up. Many people are indifferent to suffering because they don't want to deal with it. We see it on TV, we change the channels, and it's uncomfortable and it's easier to ignore than actually then to deal with it, is it not? And dealing with suffering and... Uh, uh, dealing with suffering people is actually difficult and it's time-consuming. And having a heart of compassion for someone actually enables you to adequately help a suffering person. You've heard this morning where God cares in four different ways. I, Sharon and I were talking about this and I often believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to different people in different ways. You know, some people, they're about the orphan, some people are about the widow, some people are about the poor, some people are about the, the aliens. It is. Where is the Spirit speaking to you today? God calls every one of us to be deeply aware of the suffering and to do something about it. In order for us to do this, we got to take our eyes, as just as Don Marie said, take our eyes off ourselves and acknowledge that there are hurting people that we can actually do something about. What's God calling you to do today? Today's the day of Pentecost. It's being celebrated in churches around the world. The fact that God poured out his Holy Spirit upon his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. When that happened, all heaven broke loose, literally. People from all over began to hear the gospel in their language. They then began to take it back to their communities all over the world. And the church exploded globally. As people shared Jesus, the world began to change. Not drastically, but simply one person at a time. And God is still in the life-changing business. He is still transforming people. No matter where your story started, God is rewriting. And I said this at the beginning, your ending. He's that part of your story. What is it? Your calling. Part of you following Jesus, showing compassion to a hurting world. And, and so that brings us to the question today. What does all of this have to do with each and every one of us? We are here for baptism, yeah. But what is God saying to you? What's God saying to you? Western culture is good about talking about the issues, right? Social media, but we're not very good about doing anything about them. Compassionate Christians are the ones who, in the light of the issues of the day, we begin to take action. They don't make excuses. They begin to do something. They understand that they may not solve every problem in the community or in the world, but they understand that they don't use that as an excuse not to do anything. When they see somebody is hungry, they feed them. 
When they see someone who's thirsty, they give them something to drink. When they're confronted with problems, they become part of the solution rather than a passerby who does nothing but rather move their mouth. You hear what I'm saying? As simple as all this is the calling for those who follow Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, we, we have to be about the things that he was about. We have to do the things that he did. Jesus had a compassion on the crowds. He did something. He fed them. He healed them. He ultimately he died for them. In the same way he gave of himself, we as believers are to do the very same thing. We are to be living sacrifices who are about God's business. We are to be individuals who are joined together by the Spirit of God who unites us and brings us into the community called the church. And the church is to be a community that's about bringing the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, to bring the good news to the world that's full of bad news. How's your heart today? Maybe you're like, Jerry, I, I don't even know if I can do this. Or maybe you have a bunch of questions about God. This is your first time in a church or you haven't been in a long time. Or maybe this type of church. There's a number that's going to go out on the screen. If you want some response, our pastoral care will love to talk to you. Joanna's her name. You don't see her, but she's the voice behind the number. All you got to do is pull out your phone text on that, uh, the number that's on the screen. Just write the word soul and she'll contact you. We'll answer your questions. We'll pray for you. We'll walk with you. We'll do whatever we can. We just want to help you on this journey. And we want to point you to Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? This is the type of God we serve. He shows up where we're at. It's who he is and what he does. As I begin to pray, and if you want us to follow up with you, just text. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for what you do for me. God, I thank you for the provisions in my life and that I'm spoiled. You've given me so much in so many ways. I, I actually feel spoiled by you. I feel comforted. And I feel very well cared here in my Western culture. And I can't imagine my life really and honestly any other way. You have blessed me beyond what I can imagine in spite of me not deserving these blessings. But God, I, I stand before you and I say thank you. And sometimes I feel I take my privilege for granted and I know that I need to do more for those who don't have what I have in my life. And I know that there are those who don't have a roof over their heads. I know that there are those seeking out jobs and those who live in fear of losing everything. There are the poor, there are the disabled, there are the lonely people, the desperate people that are in need of my compassion, both in this city and globally. But yet, God, I, to be honest, sometimes I forget about them. And so I come before you today on behalf of the church and all of us standing here to ask you for a reminder that I cannot just dismiss the poor and the downtrodden and the needy of this world. You asked us to care for our fellow human. You asked us to care for the widows and the orphans. You tell us throughout your word about compassion and that there are those in such great need of our help and that we should not ignore them. And yet I feel blind at times. I get so wrapped up in my own life that those people become easy to dismiss and almost invisible. So God, open our eyes. Let us see those around us in need of my compassion. Compel me to listen to them, to hear their needs. Give me a heart to be interested in their troubles. And God, provide for me the means to help them because I want to be compassionate. I want to be like you. I want to have the kind of heart for the world 
that I could do all I can to be a voice for the oppressed, a giver to the poor, an encouragement for those in need. So God, let me be a voice of reason to those around me, calling them to show their compassion. Give me the confidence of my actions so I can give back. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. In ancient time, the one expense gave a blessing, would extend his hand to do so. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. If you're new here, this is what we do at the end of all of our gatherings. If you want a blessing before you go, just put your hands up in the air. Soul Sanctuary, let's take up the mission that Jesus left us. To bring justice to the oppressed, food to the hungry, care for the widow and the orphan, to share the abundant life Jesus offers with the world around us until he comes again. And so church, may the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, encourage and strengthen you as you go and leave these doors. Now go and live the church. Amen.